for his sake we pray. Amen. It is good to see you guys this morning. We are filling up this room nicely. Everyone had an opportunity to not come to church because of the virus, but school starts back and people need places to go pray. Uh, I want to thank Josh Dawes. Josh preached for us last week. Is Josh here? Josh preached in, in my stead last week. I listened to the sermon. He did a great job. He covered the entirety of Jeremiah, which is 52 chapters in one sermon. I have been in a two-chapter book called Hey Guy for three weeks. He, if anything, he is efficient and he tucked his shirt in. So both of those things are amazing. Uh, we are in Haggai chapter 2, beginning in verse 10 today, uh, verses 10 through 23. This passage, if you're a note taker, is about two things. It's about God's people being hopeful and seeking holiness. For us, as those who would follow Jesus, it pushes us to really reject the idea of a sacred, secular divide. It, if the temple and us are to be an anticipation of the world that is to come, then we are to seek after the holiness of God. We are actually to hope for that holiness. Uh, so we're now three months. Uh, as you walk through Haggai, we're in chapter 2, verses 10 through 23. Let me read that over us, and we will work through it together. 10 through 23. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, and this is what the Lord of armies said, Ask the priest for a ruling. If a man is carrying, a consecra carrying consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and it touches the bread, the stew, the wine, the oil, or anything other food, does it make that food holy, the other food holy? And the priest answered him, no. Well, and then Haggai asked, well, if someone defiled by contact with a corpse touches any of these, does it become defiled? And the priest answered, it does become defiled. Then Haggai replied, So is this people, and so is this nation before me. This is the Lord's declaration. And so is every work of their hands, even what they offer there is defiled. Now from this day on, think carefully. Before one stone was placed on another in the Lord's temple. What state were you in? When someone came to a grain heap of 20 measures, it only amounted to 10. When one came to a wine press to dip 50 measures from the vat, it only amounted to 20. I struck you. All the works of your hands, with blight, with mildew, with hail. But you did not turn to me. This is the Lord's declaration. From this day on, think carefully. From this day on, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day of the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, think carefully. Is there still seed left in the granary? The vine, the fig, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yet produced. But from this day, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Two sermons in one day. We'll sign you guys up too. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and I will destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their riders. Horses and their riders will fall. Brother's sword. On that day, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, my, my servant. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will make you like my signet ring. 
for I have chosen you. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. From the day we began this passage just a few weeks ago to now, we are three months into the restoration of the temple of Israel, of Judah. And as we talked about as a church, as we walk through this text, we are reminded that when they rebuild the temple, it's not for the sake of the temple, for the Jewish people and their relationship with a covenant-keeping God, for them to rebuild the temple is for them to return to His presence, for them to consider His presence, for the weight of who God is to sit on top of them. Between this message and the last, uh, Zechariah has started his ministry in Jerusalem. Uh, so if, just, if you're keeping score, if the city of Jerusalem is a gulf... There are now two active storms, one named Haggai and one named Zechariah in their midst. Working, too close for comfort, sorry guys. And as they are both speaking to them, they are drawing out, pointing out the falsehoods, the shortcomings, the misunderstandings of who this God is that they know as Yahweh. The people have not, and just so we're clear, because I know when you read Old Testament books, it always takes you to idolatry. There is no blatant idolatry in these people. They are not doing anything that you would look at and say, that is outwardly to be rejected. None of us, if we were to look at these people at this point in time, would look at their lives and say, that's what's, no red flags. No red flags. All that is there is that they are ignoring the actual presence of the Lord. So, while there would be no red flags for them, that is a red flag for God. And that is a red flag for God in their lives and in each of ours. For us to ignore the presence of the Lord is a problem. Two months have passed since this last message. Now, these dates that we've been working through in the entirety of the book are important. You've seen that two of them are aligned with festivals. Date number one, verses chapter one, one through fifteen. There's the new moon festival. It's the spiritual renewal and the fresh dedication of ourselves to Yahweh. In date number two, we looked at two weeks ago together, the festival of booths. It's about God's provision in the wilderness and their thanksgiving for God's provision. And date number three, that we see this day that, where they get two oracles from Haggai, what we find is it is an important date, though we are not as familiar with it. Because the Jewish people, when they would go about a rebuilding project, there would be celebration that's taking place there. This matters to them. So over these next few verses, we're going to see a breakdown of the text. And I'll just let you see that on the screen. In verses 10 through 14, we see the priests and we see purity. In verses 15 through 19, we see people and we see promises. In verses 20 through 23, we see prince and we see princes and we see power. One more time, just so we're clear and that's helpful to you. Priests and purity are 10 through 14. 15 through 19, people and promises. In 20 through 23, we have princes and we have power. Revisit verse 10 with me. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord of armies said. Ask the priests for a ruling. If a man is carrying consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and it touches bread, stew, wine, oil, or any other food, does that other food become holy? And the priest would know the answer to this question. No, this consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, though the garment is holy and it does not defile that, it's not like the garment touching anything else is going to make that a holy thing. 
The priests say no. Then Haggai said, if someone defiled by contact with a corpse touches any of these, does it become defiled? And the priests stop again. It does become defiled. Now, I want you to put yourself in the situation of Jewish rebuilders. We've got Bob the Builder there reworking this temple. He's standing there amongst the people, this priest, doing his best to lead in his understanding of what leading is. And you have this prophet who has shown up while you're trying to do work. And they are having a very intentional conversation with you, yet you've got something you're working on. The the prophet seems to be the neighbor who shows up while you've got a project in your yard and they want to have a conversation. Does anybody have that neighbor? I am that neighbor. It's the situation where you have a priest who is doing everything he can in his understanding of what he is supposed to do, getting stopped to answer questions, and he's missing the point of the questions. And the point of the question is this, the means matter as much as the end. And God is very concerned with numerous things. But he is concerned with our, the idea of us pursuing holiness more than he's concerned with our practicality. And you have these priests who are doing their best to lead the people in rebuilding the temple because at some point they have stopped doing their job. They have not been accomplishing what God has given them to accomplish. At some point, the priests, the religious leaders for the nation of Israel, have forsaken the call of God for them to teach the people. They have not been teaching the people what it means to seek after God's presence. They had found themselves resting in doing the work of liturgically organizing temple meetings or religious gatherings. But they missed why they do it. They're supposed to teach, not just organize a public religious function. And there are some who believe about the Old Testament that the reason that we see these prophets rise up throughout the Scriptures was because the priests had abandoned their role of teaching. God gave His message to Haggai, Zechariah, and the rest because the priests dropped the ball. If you are to read through any of the Old Testament prophets, you find that over and over. When a prophet rises up, it's because the priests have not done what they've been called to do by God. So what does that mean for you who does not happen to be a Jewish priest? Well, I'm glad that you thought about asking because in the book of 1 Peter, it says this about me and this about you because of the covenant that we share. We do not have an Old Testament covenant. We have the fulfillment of that Old Testament covenant. And in that fulfillment, we have the person of Jesus and everything is resting in what He has done for us. And He says this to you. You are a royal priesthood. And for us to realize the weight of what God is saying to us here, you are a set-apart people for the sake of, yes, religious function for sure, But you are there to teach the people that you interact with about this great God who you claim to worship. Without teaching as to who God is, actual teaching by life, by words, the church becomes lifeless and the church becomes futile. And I'll be honest with you, we more than likely need a less futile, more life-filled church in the world in which we live. 
as a priest in the new and coming kingdom, what ways are you teaching? What are you saying? What are you sharing? What conversations are you having? What are you doing? What am I doing? These are things we have to ask ourselves daily as people who are in right relationship with God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. These people, here's the point of Haggai's conversation. They are not going to become holy by just touching the temple. You don't become holy by touching the cloak on the outskirts of the, on the, outskirts of the consecrated meat. They're not going to become holy just because they're going about the business of rebuilding this temple. The means matter as much as the end. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, it would be helpful for us regularly to wrestle with the idea that the means to which we attain the eternity that we have promised with God, us being people who think about, consider, wrestle with who God is, why God is that to us, the means by which we consider Him matter just as much as the end. What are we practically doing in light of the world in which we live? It's never really about what we are building, but what God has build, is building. Are we missing that? Jen Wilkin, you've heard of her. Maybe you haven't. She works at the Village Church in Dallas. She says this about God and His concern for holiness. No other attribute is joined to the name of God with greater frequency than holiness. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, to disregard that is to disregard a consideration of who God is in our lives. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It says this about the temple that God is building. The temple that God is building in the here and in the now. Because I'm not going to ask you to go to the parking lot. It's incredibly humid outside. But the temple that God is building in the here and now, it says as you come to Him, a living stone, cornerstone will be used eventually. A cornerstone that was rejected by people but chosen and honored by God. You yourselves are living stones... You are a spiritual house and you are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are stones that God is using to build the church that the gates of Hades will not prevail against. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have to consider this. People who are unholy do not become holy just because they're interacting with a place. They become holy as they interact with the people of God, empowered by God for the purposes of God. Are we living as God's people as salt and light in a world that needs to be salty and a little more light-filled? And I don't mean salty in the way that some of y'all act salty sometimes. Because Jesus didn't... Like When we look at this whole passage, we see the promise of who God is. And we see that Jesus cares for us because God the Father cares for us. He's pointing out with these prophets, these priests rather, that purity matters. It matters for us to be seeking after purity. For us to be seeking to be people that are shaped by God and shaped by His Word and shaped by His desires for our lives and shaped in a way that does not just exist in the straw man of I've said, I've done this Christian thing. It actually means that we want to be living in a way that says that God matters to us. In a world that continually believes that God does not exist or that we don't matter to Him. 
So the priest answered. It becomes defiled in verse 14. We see that in this text. We move on to verse 15 and we see this. We move to the people and the promises. What's taking place in the lives of these Jewish people in Jerusalem at this point in history. What is taking place? What are they expecting from God as they are going about building and missing why they are building? Missing why they are putting these stones in place. Missing the word of the Lord that God has given to them. This is from, from this day on, think carefully. And that's a big phrase in this passage. It's a big phrase throughout the entirety of the book. Think carefully. Or as we said in week one, give careful thought to your ways. Before one stone was placed on another in the Lord's temple, what state were you in? When someone came to a grain heap of 20 measures, it only amounted to 10. When someone came to the wine press to dip 50 measures from the vat, it only amounted to 20. So just so you know, for these Jewish people at this point in time, grain production is down and, and bread is a staple for them. Wine, grain production is down 50%. Wine production is down 60%. Wine is a symbol of joy throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. So right now, they do not have their staple of provision and they are joyless. And God says this to them, I struck you. I struck all the work of your hands with blight and mildew and hail, but you did not turn to me. This is the Lord's declaration. So God is saying, I want to get your attention. I want you to know that you need to be in my presence. I want you to realize what it means to seek after and savor my presence. Verse 18. From this day on, think carefully. There the phrase is again. Give careful thought to your ways. From the 24th day of the ninth month. Don't worry about yesterday. But now moving forward, because I brought your attention to it, think carefully. From the day of the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, think carefully. We've got this temple in place. And from this point forward, as we go... You think about this. Don't stop thinking about this. Don't ever, ever, E-V-A, ever stop thinking about this. Is there still a seed in the granary? The vine, the fig, the pomegranate, the olive tree have not produced. Is there something there to start with? I want you to realize what I can do with the little bit you, are, you have when you realize what I can do. From this day on, I will bless you. From this day, I will bless you. Careful thought and determination to act on the prophetic word of God is vital. 15, 18, give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought. It has not left the people as they rebuild the temple. Why do you, why you do what you do affects you as much as the fact that you're doing it. It's so easy for us to miss why we do what we do and just to do especially if we have rhythms and patterns of Christian culture when we can tailor the things that we read the things that we receive to repeat what we already believe we can shape everything about what we take in and miss the action that God has called us to. Now notice there's two things that have happened here. In chapter 1, they weren't doing anything. And, and maybe that was you. Three weeks ago or four weeks ago when we started this passage, you looked at your own spiritual life in consideration of the presence of God and you just thought, I'm not doing anything for this. And hopefully, maybe, just maybe, you started to take steps towards doing something. Maybe you 
opened your Bible. Maybe you found your Bible. Maybe you bought a Bible. And you started to spend some time in it. Maybe you decided to have a conversation about your faith. Or you sought a conversation about your faith. Or you texted a conversation about your faith. Or you Googled what it means to have a conversation, my introvert friends. Maybe you did one of these things. It's a joke. Y'all work through it. In chapter 1, they're doing nothing. Here, they're still doing something, but they're missing God. They're missing God. Now, let's be careful. This is not God saying to them, Hey, if you give to the temple, I'm going to make you rich. I can see how people misread Bible passages like that. And we make God Santa Claus as long as we're on the nice list. The thing is, none of us are ever on the nice list. I, I can see how it's read that way. But these things, more important than that, are... These things are not yours, God is saying. Because you're not in my presence. They're not yours, but those things are there. The things that I have provide for you in this covenant relationship that we see in the Old Testament, those things are definitely there. I have control over all of these things. I'm actually going to bless things... They're right here in my presence. You've just forgotten what it means to live in my presence. There's a story in the New Testament. Jesus tells it. He tells a lot of good stories. And he'll tell a story of a father who has two sons. We ever heard this story before? There's a couple of them, but one in particular, the more famous one is in Luke chapter 15. And one son leaves for wild rebellion. And sees that his father's house is just way better. He's out there. He's eating pig pods. As he's eating the pig pods, he's like, Oh, dad never made me eat pig pods. Pig pods are terrible. I should go home and work for my dad. At what point did his well run dry? At what point was he cut off from the provision of his father? When he was incredibly far away from his father's presence. And when he heads home, what takes place? He doesn't get home and have to have an argument or have to bring a lawyer with him, any type of representation. When he begins to take steps towards his house, his daddy runs to him, hugging a ring on his fingers. The father... And the presence, what you have when you're in the presence of the Father was there. When he remembered what home really represented. But there's another son in the story. We always forget about the other son in the story. He, he, he took for granted, so he never leaves the dad's house. And we always, we know this. We're much more like this guy if you're showing up in Corona hurricane season at church. There's another son who takes for granted the benefits of the father's presence. He is so saturated by the father's presence that he forgets how much that stuff matters and what that stuff means. And it comes to the point where he's pouting outside. They pouted in the Old Testament. I don't know if that happens around you guys. But while they were pouting, he wants a goat so much... So that's the conversation he has with his dad. When his dad hears that his grown son is pouting, he walks out. And when he goes to have a conversation with grown pouty son, pouty McPowderson, when he gets to him, the son says to him, You never gave me a goat. 
Which means that he was taking what God, what the Father had for granted just as much as the other. He just was missing that all of that stuff was around him. He was ignoring the very presence of God. We don't have to literally go far away to miss God's presence. We can show up at stuff like this and miss God's presence. You can read your Bible and miss the presence of God. We can do things for the wrong reason. And as we do those things for the wrong reason, miss the God who wants us to see that He's there. God says in this passage to the people of Israel, I will bless you. Return to my presence. Remember my presence. Don't forget about my presence. It is easy for us to be churched people so much that we miss the presence of God. We lean into practicality. We lean into pragmatism. We, we lean into the schedule. And we miss what God would do and how God would do it and how God's even working around us. But this is pushing us somewhere. We don't want to miss where this is pushing us. Haggai is pushing us toward the prince and the power. Because God's declaring who he is as the people begin to do things for the right reasons. As the people begin to seek and savor him with choosing purity over practicality. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time in the 24th day of the month. This is morning service, evening service. Y'all remember some of that? Don't ever ask for it. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and I will destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and riders. Horses and the riders will fall each by his brother's sword. On that day declares the Lord of armies. So remember, God is telling them about their future by referencing what he's done in the past. He's using language of what he's already done to say what he is going to do. He's telling them that when he talks about destroying things, that remember what took place when I took you into the promised land and we overthrew the Canaanites. Do you remember that? I can still do that. And then God says to them when he references the horses and the riders falling, do you remember that whole story of the Exodus where we're crossing over the water on dry ground and as we crossed on dry ground, then you got out and the waters crashed down on all of the Egyptians who were pursuing you. I can still do that. I can still do all the things that I've always done. Remember what I've done so that you'll know and see and not miss what I'm going to do and what I'm doing right now. God is pushing us here. Verse 24. 23 rather. On that day declares the Lord of armies, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant. Probably not dropping either one of those names on your next child. I know Josh asked for recommendations. There's two. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you. Now, let's not miss this. There's a triad there in the passage that you see running through the Old Testament whenever we're talking about messianic promises. It's a triad of servant, son, and signet ring. And it has messianic implications because it's pointing us to one who is able to do all of the things that we are unable to do in and of ourselves. A signet ring, though, it's a big deal. It has an emblem on it. So think about your class ring, the one that doesn't fit me anymore. 
It has emblems on it. But it's a special ring that the king has. And when he would send a letter, it would on a scroll, he would wrap it up like that. That's how you wrap a scroll. In my head. They would put a wax dot on it. And just to make sure that the king was letting you know that it was from him, he would stamp his ring on there. Just so that it was clear that he was the one sending this message. The king would stamp it. In the way that a notary public stamps the stuff that you have to do sometimes. In Jeremiah, that Josh Josh preached through last week, we have a reference to what took place before we get to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. In Jeremiah, you have Zerubbabel's granddad. And Zerubbabel's granddad had a problem. Problem was, he was super wicked. And God said to him, Hey, I'm doing stuff. But I'm going to take you away as my signet ring. I'm going to keep doing it because I've made a big promise. But I'm not going to do it through you because you're just that corrupt. You're gone. So you have Zerubbabel here who is a governor. But in a sense a prince in this passage. Who's pointing us somewhere else. And this Zerubbabel is one where God says to him. I'm going to give you that ring back. I'm going to reference the fact that you are a son of David. I'm going to show that you're a servant of the kingdom of God. And I'm going to use you to do things. But I'm not just going to use you. I'm going to take you and point to something that's better. We don't hear a lot about Zerubbabel from this point forward. But you get to those genealogies that you skip when you're doing your chronological reading. I skip them too sometimes. And when you get there, you begin to see these names. You begin to see what God has been doing to get us to this one. A son, a servant, a signet ring. You get to God's very impression and imprint of who He is. You get to what we see in Hebrews 1 through 4. You get to what we see in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. The image of the invisible God. But this image of the invisible God is not just doing symbolic things. If we're careful, we make the, the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament so symbolic we cease to take them seriously. That is godless. Jesus cares about things because Jesus cares about people because God cares about people. God cares. And God is doing active things, working out things miraculously. Doing things that make unclean things clean that could not be clean on their own. So we have a story about, we see in this passage about the priest and purity. When you touch a leper, according to what Haggai has just taught us, you were unclean and the, ste- and the leper stays the leper. That's what happens. You become unclean, the leper stays a leper. When you touch a woman with the issue of blood, you become unclean and the woman continues to bleed. Nothing is resolved. It makes you worse, not them better. When you touch a corpse, you become unclean and the dead person remains dead. But we've got this son, servant, and signet ring that we're taking this passage to. Not we, God himself. And when he takes us there, we see someone who would touch a leper. But when he touched the leper, the unclean became clean. And he remained clean. When he touches the woman with the issue of blood, he takes away the blood. Her bleeding stops, but we, he remains clean. When he touches a corpse, that corpse becomes alive. The unclean becomes clean. 
because he had power over sin and death. And he would eventually switch places, becoming completely defiled and unclean on the cross so that God could declare all of us clean. God pointing us. Now we are, see in this passage, where we are to seek after holiness, but we are to be hopeful ultimately for what God has done for us in Jesus. And those things working together should shape the way that we live, react, interact, the way that we treat one another, the way that we treat other people, the way that we view things that we read. But God is the one who makes all things clean through the death and resurrection of His Son. Because our God keeps His promises. So we as followers of Jesus don't just believe in Him. We believe Him. We believe Him to be true. We don't just trust in Jesus. We trust Jesus. That when He gives us steps to take, we take them. When He gives us a walk to walk, we walk it. When He gives us things to do, we do it. And we don't just make our faith this passive faith where we are sitting on the outskirts waiting for religious people to do religious things, we see that we are part of God's grand design to make and display the glory of God to the ends of the earth. As we do it practically and treat one another in ways that honor Him. Because in a world of despair, cultivating hope is a revolutionary act, according to one pastor. Hope cultivators... Because we have been declared holy in Jesus. Here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to bow our heads. We're going to sing. And that's great. And I would encourage you to sing. But I don't want you to sing just because that's what we do next. I would ask of you as you consider the weight of what God has taught us this morning. What God has said to us about considering our ways. What God has said to us about our own personal holiness. That you would not just take the next step in religious progression of just doing something for the sake of doing it. But you would wrestle in your heart with do my means matter to me? Because they matter to God. They do. They do. If you're here, you've never trusted in Christ. He makes unclean things clean. He never stops doing it. He's always about that. Lord, we thank you for this faith family that you give us to meet with each Sunday. We thank you for their love for you. We thank you that we get to gather and sing to you and celebrate you. God, I pray over every person in this room that you would remind us that we, for those of us who are believers, that we are priests. For those who are here who do not believe in you, you've invited them to be part of your priesthood. You're gracious and good. God, I pray we will be people who seek your presence. Because your presence is power. We ask all this, Jesus, in your name. If you need me, I'm in the back right-hand corner.